Psalm 145. A Psalm of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness, and shall sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All your works shall praise you, O Lord, and your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord upholds all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look expectantly to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He also will heal, will hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray together. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. And I was planning to begin at verse 7, but instead I'm going to begin at verse 1. Uh, which is where we finished with that paragraph, verses 1 through 6 last time. But it really, to give us the context, I want to read this. This is Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Then he, Jesus, went out from there, and he has been all over. He has been all over Galilee. He's been all over uh, the place. 
healing people in outrageous numbers, healing people. No one can deny the miracles that he's doing. Everybody acknowledges that even his worst enemies admit that he's doing these things, speaking with great wisdom. And then he comes to Nazareth, his hometown. Then he went out from there, these regions, and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, here is Jesus coming to his hometown, and what do these people do? How do they respond? They know he's been doing these miracles. He just spoke in their synagogue. He exhibited the wisdom that they have been hearing he's been exhibiting in place after place after place. But what do they do to disqualify him from their loyalty, from their positive response? They point to themselves. How can... The Messiah, how can this spokesman for God be authentic? He's one of our pals. He, we grew up with this guy. They disqualified Jesus because they felt themselves to be disqualified. How could we, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> How could we have been a companion for 30 plus years of this fellow? They're not denying his wisdom. They're not denying his miracles. They're denying this can't possibly be. This doesn't work. Well, in fact, it does work. What, does the, what do the Hebrew scriptures say about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? He is a God of mercy kindness, grace, loyalty. He pursues the knucklehead sheep. That term shepherd is a great compliment to God. It's an insult to us. <laughs> sheep are knucklehead critters. Aren't we glad that we have a shepherd who is willing to keep pursuing us when we are knuckleheads? Yes, folks, that's called mercy, mercy, mercy. But they disqualify. One of the things I failed to point out last week, because I hadn't thought of it until the next day, what don't they accuse him of? These people who had rubbed shoulders with him for 30 plus years. They don't accuse him of any failure 
or sin. They had lived with this guy for 30 plus years. From about the time of about 3 BC, Herod the Great, when Herod the Great died, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus came out of Egypt. They went to Judea. Oh, knucklehead son of Herod is ruling there. So they went back to their original hometown of Nazareth in Galilee to stay away from that knucklehead. Jesus was about four or five years old. And this is about 31 AD. He had been there for more than 30 years. Did they have any failure or fault that they pointed to? No. Nothing is voiced that disqualified Jesus based on his own behavior. His disqualifier was them. Well, moving along, verse 7. And he called the twelve to himself. He's already called the twelve apostles. They've all been named previously in Mark's gospel. He called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. Also, he said to them, and whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you when you depart from there, shake the dust under your feet, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So they went out and preached that people might, should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So he sends them out. They've been accompanying Jesus for quite a long time in ministry. They've seen what he's done. They've heard his message. They've, they know what healing looks like. They know what the process looks like. And he sends them out. It's interesting. He sends them out. Don't take any extra stuff. Just the super bare necessities. Not two tunics. I don't want you carrying around a, a, a sack full of stuff. No, one tunic, one pair of sandals. The bare minimums. And you're going to go two by two. And you're gonna, he's sending them out. In, you know, He's deliberately t sending them out with as little stuff as possible with the expectation <coughs> he has the expectation and they are to have the expectation that God will meet their daily needs. <coughs> you are to learn to walk with my father with his in this loyal to shepherd of yours. You're to walk with him with an expectation that he will meet your needs on a very uncomfortable daily basis. I'm not going to load you down with stuff. No, you're going to trust me to supply the stuff on a daily basis. And as we were talking about in the, in the Sunday school class earlier, folks, this is called the manna plan. Israel was 40 years in the wilderness Two and a half to four million people. 
And they went out and gathered the manna. Six out of the seven days of the week, they gathered manna. And God was loyal to them to supply every day what they needed. What they needed. What they needed. That's the kind of God we have. He is focused on us all the time. He's never distracted from you. He is never distracted from you. He's never distracted from me. He is present in all that he is. He is present in all that he is in our life experience. We have people here in this congregation right now that are needing immediate help, but we have the immediate helper God. We just read Psalm 145. What is it that David hammers, 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 hammers? God's loyalty to us in all of the traits that he is, he is loyal to us to be that fully with us one day after another, after another, after another. It's called the manna plan. And so he sends out the apostles with that expectation. When they go into a town, they're to go to a specific home, and he doesn't we don't have any of the details here how they're to know, how they're to... And of course, it will vary. They're going to be led. And they will be welcomed into one home or another home to two guys. And then when they leave, if the message has been received, and of course, what does it say? He gave them authority over demons to cast out demons. He gave them the, the gift of physical healing. And they went out, preached that people might repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. By the way, we never see Jesus anointing anyone with oil when he heals them. Why not? Because Jesus isn't dwelt by the Holy Spirit. The oil is emblematic of the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't need that emblem. He didn't need that proof. He is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. The disciple, the apostles, the Holy Spirit is with them, but he is not in them. In the upper room, in John's Gospel, the night of Jesus' arrest, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit who has been with you will be in you. But at the present time, and so when they're anointing people, that is a demonstration to the people this isn't me doing the healing this is God the Holy Spirit doing the healing and that was the oil was the visual physical evidence of that reality and they saw people healed they witnessed those miracles God did those miracles through them but they they anointed with oil but they cast out demons and their message was preached. They preached the message of repentance. Of repentance. Repent. Change your orientation. Change your outlook. That's what repent means. Metanoia. Change your mind. Change your orientation. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Pay attention to that reality. And by the Holy Spirit's enablement, respond. Repent. And if they will not hear you, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah will have a better day on the day of judgment than those people. That is a gigantic statement. I'm sending you out with authority. 
I'm sending you out as God's spokesman. God's spokesman. They went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And now we have an extended passage. What is the nature of the... Well, let's back up for a minute. Do we live in a uh, culture in this world in which uh, we can expect cultures to just run into Jesus' arms? Or do we live in a world in which no matter where we go, we can expect hostility? (laughs) We can expect hostility. I can't think of a single nation... Now, some that are better than others, but none of them has actually open arms to receive the gospel message. And the persecution is ramping up more and more in this world right now. It's not getting better, it's getting worse. Well, it was the same in Jesus' day. Jesus' opposition was from the Pharisees because he was a threat to them. And their hyper-religiosity. They have, their, they have this standing in the Jewish culture where they are the Jews of Jews. I mean, they're the, the wonderful people who are getting patted on the head by the Jewish culture. And Jesus is a threat to them because he's not buying their self-righteousness for one second. And he keeps humiliating them. And the Sadducees are the ones who are in charge of the temple. The high priests are... The Sadducees, they are basically criminals. The temple is, has been a den of thieves for a couple hundred years at least. They're criminals. But also you've got this fellow, King Herod. Now this is Herod Antipas. There's Herod the Great, the fellow who was the king when Jesus was born and who actually had the, the children in the region of Bethlehem, two years old and below, killed. Uh, Herod the Great had at least five wives. Well, Herod Antipas is one, of the, is one of the sons from those five wives, and he has a half-brother named Philip, who is the son of Herod the Great through another wife, and they both have a... So they're half-brothers, because they have the same father, but they have a... There's another, there was another wife who, who had a grandson or a granddaughter by the name of Herodias, and Philip is married to their... Now, by the way, this was common in the ancient world where, fa- where royal ruling families would intermarry within their own family. You don't, want this, the, you don't want this spreading out. We want to keep all the power in our own family. And so here is this Herodias, who is the half-sister, or second cousin, maybe we could say, of first Philip, and she's the wife of Philip. And then Herod Antipas steals her away from his brother. This is all public knowledge. It's right there on display in front of the whole culture. And John the Baptist publicly rebuked Herod Antipas for stealing his brother Herod Philip's wife, Herodias. Now the person who really got angry about it was Herodias. Now, King Herod, Herod Antipas, heard of him, Jesus, for his, Jesus' name had become well known. And he said, 
John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. By the way, Jesus is exhibiting powers John the Baptist never did. There's no evidence that John the Baptist ever did any healing miracles. John the Baptist was the herald for the coming king, the coming Messiah. And God gave ears to hear to certain people in the Jewish culture. The king is coming, the king is coming, the king is coming. He's the herald. But that was his sole role. But as God's spokesman, he had publicly rebuked Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas arrested him. But it's very strange. The same Herod Antipas that arrested John the Baptist actually is kind of impressed by John the Baptist. <laughs> he actually sits down with him and has several conversations with John the Baptist, and he's and Herodias wants John the Baptist executed because of his public renunciation or denunciation of her and her relationship with Herod Antipas. But Herod Antipas, he's so impressed by John the Baptist, he's actually been protecting John the Baptist. He's got him in jail, but he's not following the desires of Herodias to have him executed. Now, King Herod heard of him, Jesus, for his Jesus' name had become well-known, and he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead. Therefore, these powers are at work in him. Others said of Jesus, it is Elijah. And others said, it is the prophet, or like one of the prophets. This was the, a prophet, uh, Elijah, never died. He was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot. It says in the last chapter of Malachi that Elijah will come before the great day of the Lord. So they're trying to say, well, is this Jesus, Elijah? They had asked the same questions of John the Baptist. Or the prophet. This is a prophet spoken of in the book of Deuteronomy. And John the Baptist said no <laughs> to that. He said, no, I'm not Elijah. I am the one spoken of by Isaiah, the voice of one speaking in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Verse 16. But when Herod heard he said, this is John, whom I beheaded. He has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he, Herod Antipas, had married her. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him, John, and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man, and he, Herod, protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. He actually sat down and had conversations with John the Baptist, and it actually prompted certain behaviors, responses from Herod Antipas that he followed through on. Then an opportune day came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias daughter, her name is Salome, when Herodias' daughter 
herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. He also swore to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and said to her mother, What shall I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. Yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. His ego was on the line. He can't back down now because he stated, cried out this oath in front of this whole gallery of people. The king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately the king sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought, and they went and beheaded him in prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Yuck. Ah! <laughs> when his disciples, when his, John's disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So here is this sordid, wicked account of Herod Antipas and his whole orientation is ultimately towards serving himself. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus. So this is the details events, detailed events on what ultimately pulled John the Baptist aside. But there's turmoil where Jesus goes, and there's, there's upheaval going on everywhere. People are either running into Jesus' embrace, or they are standing against him. You don't see many neutral people. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus having come back from their ministry, gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. So let's do a little retreat here, guys. Let's do a little retreat. Well, they don't get to. This is how much of a response the whole community and the whole region is in response to Jesus and the apostles. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, so they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, Jesus, and ran there on foot from all the cities. Oh, we can see where they're going. Let's get there first. They arrived before them and came together, and Jesus, when he came out, out of the boat saw a great multitude is he annoyed 
know. What does Jesus know? What is Jesus' orientation that should also be our orientation? My Father is in charge of my life experience. He had said to the apostles, let's go to a deserted place. We need a little time of retreat together. And they get there, and here is this massive crowd of people waiting for them. Is Jesus upset by this unexpected outcome? No, he's not. Can I do a little application here? (laughs) Mark, for you, Uh, when unexpected things happen, unexpected to us, that doesn't mean they're unexpected to God. It doesn't mean that God has lost control. It means that he is running our life experience in the way that will advance the kingdom the most, bring glory to him the most, and glory to uh, ultimate kingdom glory to us the most. We are to walk. This is the manna plan, the manna plan, one day at a time. Don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. But God is in charge even of the troublemakers. He's even in charge of the troubles to use them for kingdom glory. But the multitude saw them departing and many knew him and ran There on foot from all the cities, they arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them. Moved with compassion. He wasn't annoyed. He was moved with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep having no shepherd. But they are sheep looking for a shepherd, prompted to look for the shepherd. The people that don't want to be with Jesus aren't in the crowd. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. He immediately got up and started speaking to them. He started preaching to them. When the day was now far spent, His disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. Okay, these are the same guys who were sent out with nothing to do their ministry. And now Jesus says, you give them something. I supplied people when I sent you out. There were people awaiting you who supplied your needs to them. Now I'm asking you to supply the needs of these people. And they're like, what? You give them something to eat. They said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii? worth of bread and give them something to eat. A denarius was one day's wage. That's a lot of money. That's how many people are there. But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five loaves and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks 
in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and, and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. Their hunger, the hunger of all of them was satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. They ended up with more leftovers than they had started with. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Whew. 5,000 men. And he had met their needs. <clears throat> First he met their needs from the message that they heard. Why did they gather to Jesus in the first place? It wasn't to get fed in their tummies. It was to get filled in their souls and spirits. That's why they assembled together there and made that long trek there. While Jesus and the apostles came across in a boat, they were running over there. And they were there when Jesus, what? To hear his message. Then their physical hunger was satisfied as well. So there's a massive spiritual movement going on in the communities surrounding Judea. And we are at a good stopping point. The simple point, what do we get out of this narrative? We have this gospel narrative. And it's very easy to say, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Okay. No. What is the significance, spiritual significance? We have the same God that the apostles had as they were sent out. We have the same God as those 5,000 people who were fed. Our God is that Lord Jesus Christ, that Nazarene, who met all their spiritual and physical needs. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. The apostles healed the sick. They, he is the one who fully needs, meets our needs on every level. And that's why they were pursuing Jesus and the same God who did that then can do that now. We've been praying for family members. For ourselves. Lord, meet my today needs in a way that points to you. Please, for your glory's sake. Let's pray. Our Lord, we just pray. <laughs> Please meet our today needs for your glory's sake. Give us awareness of your loyalty to us. You are, the God described in the Bible is the God you are to us. There is no such thing as a second class Christian. We are all in your focus. We are asking that all of the things we prayed for earlier will be met in a way that we can only give you the glory. You send people. 
The name of this message is The Shepherd Sends and Calls. You send us and you call people and you call us all into your presence, the full reality of who you are. We ask that you would supply to us the faith to truly trust that you will be for us what you declare yourself to be in the Scripture. And Lord, we especially ask for those in our midst, again, who are dealing with physical issues, Angie, the relatives, all these people, for Juliataway, Lord, all of these people, that you would meet those needs, and for Ruth, that those expectations would be fulfilled and, re and desires be fulfilled, all for your glory's sake as well as their deliverance. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm going.